In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. In the Lab time is now, and this is an interesting day because while we shoot this, we always shoot this late morning on Tuesdays. It's also the NFL trade deadline. We're not going to get into any of that. Before we get into stuff, whether it's not any of that or it's some of this or none of that, (laughs) my name's Drew Doherty. That's John Harris. We're happy to be with you, and we're happy that you're checking us out today. John, let's talk about this. Ugly loss again. Trade deadline going on. So let's talk about the rookies who are not named Davis Mills on this team. So it's a group that's actually gotten – quite a bit of playing time for the most part in a lot of spots. And we saw one of them get playing time for the first time this last Sunday in Brevin Jordan. But let's begin with Nico Collins, who over the last four games, because he missed a little chunk there after, after Cleveland. And if you throw in the Cleveland game, he's had a reception of like 18 to 20 plus yards or more, at least in, in all of those games, it seems maybe with one exception, but he had a pretty solid output on Sunday, and he was one of the few guys that really didn't catch any passes in the fourth quarter. He was kind of one of the, I don't, you can't say a bright spot when you're getting, you know, <laughs> your head caved in thirty yeah. nothing. But of course, he had a long reception. He had a few other targets, and he was targeted four times. He caught all of them. What's he doing well in your estimation, and what's he working on? Because he was targeted four times. But is he just not getting open to to not get targeted more? Is it a combination of Davis Mills just being a little bit inexperienced and able to find him? Is it kind of all of that? But I've just at, at a superficial glance been impressed with what I've seen from Nico Nico Collins. What have you thought about him? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Drew. I, I think he's been really impressive. And yeah, I think the other day, I think there are some things, there are a lot of things that are uh, wrong is not the, the right, not the correct word, but just for Nico, look, he, he's a rookie. He's, he just is now hitting the halfway point of his rookie year. And like you said, I think he missed what three, three weeks yeah. you know, dealing with the shoulder issue, but he, and, and on top of that, he missed all of 2020 opting out because of the COVID issues. And I'll be honest, it wasn't so much an opt out as it was a force out really because of the way the big 10 yeah. handled the whole COVID issue, to be honest. Nico wanted to go back, but the, but the Big Ten handled it so poorly that he, that he wasn't able to. So, terminal guy that hasn't really played a lot of football since 2019, where I, I felt like he was really getting and hitting his stride. So, you throw all that in, still shaking off rust, learning the NFL game, and he's got a rookie quarterback. And all of that combined, I think – I don't say it doesn't add to the, to the issues because I don't, I don't really say they're issues, but it adds to the, to the growing pains of being an NFL wide receiver. And I think he's really adapted very well. I think for Davis, when, I don't want st- when things get tough, uh, I guess is the right way of saying, or it's a key situation, he's going to look to Brandon Cooks. And I don't have any problems with that. Yeah, I mean, you should. I, I mean, the guy's a Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl caliber yeah. receiver. Yeah, there's absolutely. Nobody's going to quit. But, but Tim Kelly and his offensive staff are drawing things up for Nico. He's making big, big plays across the middle. I think that's what people wanted to see. I think the one thing with Nico we really haven't seen just yet, and that's the, the deep ball. He has got much better speed than people think. Mm-hmm. 
and he can go pick it off the top of a DB's head. Now that that part, he really hasn't had a chance to really um, to do, which is something he did at, at Michigan. Now there are a couple of factors in that. Uh, teams are not struggling to stop the Texans' run, so they can put two guys on the roof essentially, play some sort of quarters or half coverage, and and keep that deep ball from happening. So what happens is. You throw the glance route. You throw the dig routes, the routes that that break inside and underneath yeah. those guys, and that's what Nico's been catching. So if you get more post-safety coverage with a single safety in the middle and cover three or cover one, that might be more opportunity for Nico to go down the field, but the Texans just aren't seeing that because they're not demanding it from a defense by running the ball better. So I think that's a part of Nico's game that will get better once teams start to respect – the run a little bit more and say, look, we can't sit here in too high or we can't sit here in uh, you know, middle of the field open coverages because, man, we got to put a safety down in the box and stop that run game. And that's just not – Texans aren't drawing that out to allow the receivers to get man-to-man on the outside, to get single safety coverage where they can go outside the numbers and do some stuff, in particular Nico Collins. Yeah. And then Brevin Jordan, he played a quarter of the snaps exactly – Exactly yep. a quarter of the snaps on Sunday. First time he'd been active. It's pretty darn clear that guy needs to play some more. He needs, yep. he's, he's not going to be inactive much longer unless something pops up. That guy's got a spot. That guy can play. I was very enthused by what I saw from, from Brevin Jordan in very limited time. And he was, he was one of those guys that kind of, he came to life there in that fourth quarter when, yes, we know, we know the starters were out for the most part. You didn't see <laughs> yeah. Jim. Yeah, we know. I know. But he looked good, and right. he played well against the people who were out there. I was very, very enthused by what I saw. I can't wait to see more of it. What did you? What was your kind of first takeaway after you know the the dust settled Sunday uh, against the Rams? The, my first thought was the way they handled Brevin Jordan, the Texans. I thought was probably the exact right way of doing it. I mean, he was one of the toys I opened for Christmas in some sense, and wanted to to really go out and play with that toy all day long because he's got twitch. He's got the size. He's got the hands, but you know, look, Brevin played at Bishop Gorman high school, one of the greatest high schools in the country, then went to Miami. You know, everything was real easy for him. And you could tell there was some rough spots that he kind of had to smooth out before he really could get on the field. But then when he did get on the field, he was ready to go. And look, you can't walk over to, to Raheem Morris and say, no, hey, Raheem Morris, defense coordinator of the Rams, leave your first defense out there. You can, I mean, you can't do that. You just got <laughs> to go make plays against who's out there. And, and Brevin did that. I mean, the touchdown catch is outstanding. You know, the thir- his third catch and last catch, um, you know, is down the seam, catches it with his hand with a DB on him. And I think he's got much better things ahead. You know this as well as, I, as any, Drew. I had him number 37 in my Harris 100. Yeah. And I stood, I stood by it. I felt like, when I watched him, I, I could I could put on his film and I would I would sit with anybody. I don't care who it is. And I could point out this guy needs to be playing in our league and he is one of the better players in this draft. But I do think there were some rough spots that he had to kind of smooth out and kind of get used to being in the NFL locker room, not being the alpha dog and then working your way from the bottom. You know, as Drake says, started from the bottom and hopefully he gets to where Drake is in the music game. He does that as a tight end. And I think good things are ahead. And when you think about it, with a team that's one and seven and struggling a little bit, where do you find hope? You find hope 
and young yeah. players. It's guys like those two guys yeah. like Jonathan Grenard, who's been ripping yes. it up, who we've Absolutely. talked about quite a bit. Also guys like someone, we, you and I, like the day after he was drafted, really the day he was drafted, the more we talked about him, the more we found out about him, we both kind of called it early on. Like Roy Lopez, we said, that guy's got a really good chance of coming in yep. and contributing and doing so for a long time. And it looks like he's on that path. Now we also put the caveat out there. Like don't expect 15 sacks, <laughs> yeah, 40 tackles for loss per year. Cause he plays a position that basically you chew up double teams and you help your other guys around you yep. uh, get one-on-one matchups. He's done that. And he's added a little bit extra to it as well. Now it's been a struggle all year long, but the defensive line for the most part has played better than average or better yeah. than, you know, the rest of the defense. And he's been a big part of that. And he's come in as a rookie, a late, late round pick. And really he's, he's excelled or exceeded um, kind of what was expected. If you look at where he was drafted uh, and it's been fun to see that. And he's a fun guy to cover. He's, he's got yeah. a great personality. He's played well. And I've, I've really liked seeing what he's done out there. You're exactly right. Drew. I mean, you and I, the day after you were drafted, we kept texting each other like, Hey, you know this guy's dad's a coach? Hey, you know this guy's a wrestler? Yep. Uh, hey, you know this guy's got thighs the size of Waxahachie? <laughs> I mean, like, he's he's really impressive. And, and here's the thing. If, if you know, going back to the concept of being one and seven, and not that I want to harp on the record, obviously, but if you said, okay, your team's going to be one and seven through eight games, almost halfway through, but you had some bright spots, where would you want it to be? And my immediate reaction would be on the lines. Well, the offensive line has been too banged up to even think about. Yeah. But the defensive line has really been about as impressive as, as you could really hope. And that's after J.J. Watt was moved on, after J.J. Watt moved on to the Arizona yeah. Cardinals. So John Grenard stepping up. You know, Jacob Martin, I think, has played some really good football. We've yeah. seen Demarcus Walker make some plays uh-huh. um, on this on this defensive line, Malik and then Collins. you've got Roy. Yeah, Malik yeah. Collins. yeah. Malik Collins has done some amazing. I mean, Malik and Roy on that safety. There wasn't a lot made of that. I did Telstrator <laughs> on that particular play, and I watched Jacob. But then I'm like, okay, well, what about the other things? You know, it's a zone read. So okay, did they take away the zone? Oh my god, Malik <laughs> Collins just destroyed the guard. Roy Lopez took on a double team such that he slipped one block and then took the other guy on and, and was basically holding him up. So there was no way they could run it because those two guys were stuffing it. So you're seeing the things on the defensive line that you'd like to be able to see. Now, I, and you know this, have always been an advocate of you better win on the offensive and defensive lines. That's where you're going to win. Yeah. And then once you have um, the right and proper quarterback in play, then you've got an opportunity. I always think of Seattle. For a long time, they built that thing. They put all the defensive pieces together. They got the offensive pieces together, and then they took Russell Wilson in the third round. Now, I don't think they realized they had what they had in Russell Wilson, but when they plopped Russell Wilson right in the middle of the lines they had, the defensive line that the Seahawks had, all the other pieces of the secondary, they ended up winning a Super Bowl. And so, you know, look, there are different ways to get this thing done, but you've got to be. There's, There's no team. There's no team that you can look at that's won a Super Bowl where you go, oh, defensive line suspect and offensive line suspect. Now, one or the other may not be great, but the other one is really, really good. 
So you've got to be really good on those lines to have, uh, have an opportunity. And you just look around the league right now at the teams that are great. I mean, look at the defensive front for the Cardinals. I know it all is made about all the Cliff Kingsbury's. That defensive front is really good. Um, the offensive line is a great play. They play well together, and that's, that's a different thing. The Rams, my God, what they are now on both sides of the line, you add Von Miller in there, holy smokes. Um, the Bills, the Bills' defensive front, it's as good as I've seen all year. I mean, it's, it's as good with Starr and Ed Oliver. They're as good up front as, as anybody. The teams that are good are going to be good on, on offense and or defensive line. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've got to get is get that proficiency on both lines such that we bludgeon teams. And then we get the right opportunity, at quarterback, be it Davis or whatever else, plop him in and away we go. And let's wrap things up with the final draft pick of uh, that. We haven't talked about Garrett Wallow TCU linebacker. He's mainly been a special teamer. He's got, I think less than a dozen defensive snaps all year long, but he's made a few plays on special teams and been kind of a reliable guy there. And, and is progressing, I think, and you'd think, to one day have an impact on the defense. You can't close a book on any of these guys yet. You certainly can't close it on him. But what have you seen in limited uh, action or limited you know, duty from, from Walla, whether it's defense or whether it's special teams or both? Yeah, he's been in on goal line on defense and made a couple of plays down on goal line. I, I like him. I liked him at TCU, um, <clears throat> which became a massive story in the world of college football this week. Yeah. But- I look at Garrett and I see a guy that went to John Curtis high school, played for one of the great high school coaches of all time, Johnny Curtis. Then he ends up going to TCU and he learns under Gary Patterson. Uh, and then he comes here and he learns under Lovey Smith. Look, these linebackers are asked to do a lot in this particular defense. And Garrett's the only young player in a group of a lot of veterans. So it's going to be a tough nut to crack. But if there's anything that we have really learned about, Charlie Heck, John Grenard, the offseason was unbelievably important for them. And I think it can be incredibly important for a guy like Garrett Wallow Mm -hmm. to get in this building every single day in the offseason and just crank and just go. I think the smarts, the intelligence, the the football IQ, the quick thinking out on the field, I think all that's there for Garrett. I just think the opportunity really just hasn't been because he is – in a room with a bunch of veterans. Now, trade deadline, season goes on, kind of want to see what you got. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Garrett down the road. He gets an opportunity to play in two or three games um, as the season wears on, and we'll see. I, I absolutely believe Garrett Wallace is a really good football player, but he just hasn't had an opportunity yet. And I think the special team stuff he does well, the football IQ and the PhD he's got in defensive football is going to help him. I think he really needs an offseason to be able to say, hey, I can be – I can be a dude on this team. Yeah, I can. I can be the guy that you want to play uh, at one of these linebacker spots. So the, I, I think the future is very, very bright for Garrett Wallow. And if you continue to get into sin with Davis Mills, and you got five guys out of this class that are all contributing, that's how you. That's how you build it. That's your foundation. Yeah. And then you stack another really good and deep draft on top of that. Well, okay. Now you haven't built it with a bunch of. Uh, long in the tooth veterans, you built it with a bunch of youth that can stay together for a while, and then you stack and stack and stack, and hopefully at that point you've done it the right way. Yeah, as of right now, you're sitting on 10 draft picks for 2022, and you might add to that total as yep. soon as today, maybe closer to the draft, maybe both. So we'll see about that. 
want to put a bow on things because you, and we're going to veer off a little bit. You just brought up Wallow and where he played his college ball. Now, listen, I went to SMU and <laughs> my Mustangs are having a hell of a season. They lost yep. to U of H. U of H is good. Um, I don't, I'm glad they they're ranked. They should have been ranked. It's like you talked about earlier in the season, Dana Holgerson. He's got his guys in place. He's got his system in place. It's all yep. kind of gelling together. They're going to mess with people. They're a good team. They're a top 25 team. I saw that uh, in that first game of the year, the kickoff against Texas Tech. Yep. Probably should have held on and beat that Red Raider squad, but weird things happen. Anyways, they took care of SMU, the undefeated Mustangs, and I think the voters were smart. They didn't bounce SMU out of the top 25 either. I think they recognized that they went on the road, played a hell of a game against a really, really, really good team in their stadium, and two teams pretty evenly matched. The better team won on Saturday night, but as a Mustang, the wins over TCU over the last two decades have been few and far between, and it's in large part due to Gary Patterson. And uh, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't follow TCU football. I, I, it's a very superficial view of things, but it's it's going to be tough to get better than what you had in that guy. And maybe he's lost his fastball or something. Who knows? But I think it's um, – I think without Gary Patterson there, it's it looks better for for SMU in the short term. Drew, I was I can't remember who I was talking to, but maybe an Andre where we were talking to you on the air, and we were asking him about it. And I made a comment about, you know, when when people ask, you know, hey, what kind of job is that? Is it a good job? Is it a bad job? A lot of times, people are asking about you know facilities, the alumni base, the hell of a lot better than when he got it, recruiting base, all those all kind of stuff. things. Yeah. Their admissions, and, like their admissions have gone up. They've become a better I, academic institution. I know. And, the, and it, the, yeah. The thing about it is, I thought, man, I don't really know what kind of job TCU is because Gary was it was always TCU was always Gary Patterson to me. You know? So I don't even know what kind of job TCU is because it was just it was just Gary. It was Gary Patterson was TCU football. And, and vice versa. So I think it's a good job, I, I think. But Gary was was such the, the perfect person for TCU. And yeah. now obviously they move on. So my, my gut tells me that TCU is a really good football job. But, but I don't know because Gary had a job for well over two decades. He was a defensive coordinator before that. He had such an imprint on that place. I'm curious to see what they do and, and how they go about it. But I think it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. It really and is. And I'll say this for Gary Patterson, too. For younger coaches, man, he meant everything because he was doing some stuff innovatively. Um, yeah, you see what uh, Dave Aranda – did you see the Dave Aranda yeah. video? I mean, that was – Absolutely. Boy, he almost Absolutely. started crying, you know? I mean, I, I was – you know, back when, when Gary was defense coordinator at TCU, and I, I was trying to learn more offensive football because I played defense and I learned defense. Uh, when I was in college. And so I wanted to learn more about offensive football, but you knew that Gary Patterson was a guy defensively that people wanted to learn about and learn from. So I'm curious to see where he goes. He's 61 years old. He doesn't seem like it. So I'm curious to see where, where he ends up. I mean, if I'm Texas tech, I make a call. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to go out to Lubbock, but I sure as heck would make a call Gary Patterson for sure. Absolutely make a call and whoever gets the job at LSU or USC, I call up Gary and say, look, man, um, 
I want to make this as easy as possible. You want to be by DC? Come on. If you want to be just my advisor consultant, I'll pay you whatever you want. Come on. Could just, just be part of this because I need your football brain in the building. Now, I don't know if you would do that, but I absolutely would make that call because of the respect I have for Gary Patterson for sure. I mean, think about it. He was you know, there with Francione and Francione had brought it up a little bit, you know, quite a bit, I, I would suppose. But uh, Patterson took it to the next level and sustained it for a long time. Meanwhile, Francione went off and he uh, had his experience at Alabama. Yep. And then he came to AM. Things got even worse. And it just shows you right place, right time. Yep. You know, the grass is not always greener when you move up. Uh, yep. And you, you could cite that or, or see that with a lot. Tom Herman. Um, oh, yeah. In basketball, yep. you know, yep. Billy Gillespie, et cetera, et cetera. Shaka Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Gary Patterson was pre- he he's in my mind. He's a, he's absolutely a college football hall of famer. I mean, absolutely with what he's done there in the last two decades. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. All right. That's enough about that. Anyways, my bottom <laughs> line is I think it's good for the SMU Mustangs and he's out of there. So anyhow, uh, salute to you. Props to you, Gary Patterson. You really wore us out over the years. So uh, best of luck. And that's a great career. I'm sure he uh, doesn't care about what I think <laughs> or gives a rat's ass about what I think. But anyways, I just wanted to get that out there because I knew you appreciated him too. And, uh, I know there's a lot of other people that appreciate him. All right. This has been an In the Lab. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate you watching. So long.